We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. This is Lore Keepers, the boundless venture, the world-renowned podcasting opus, wherein the richest tapestry of lore in human history is sung into being before your ear, before your eerie verholes ver- and and Viking. <clears throat> I'm Frank. I'm Carter. And whether you melt jewelry in volcanoes, burn steel to usurp the Carrion throne, or crit on your grave warden to kickflip, sit a while by our fire, a weary wanderer, and let us weave you a tale. So this week, uh, I guess this is the first. This is the first sort of non-special week of the new year. We're kind of getting back into things. We're going to be talking about something that we touched on previously, which is. I guess I think we're just going to call it the Admirals Club, but we'll get we'll get back to that in a little bit. Before we do that, Carter, how are you doing? I am doing well. I am reveling in my Christmas and New Year's uh, glow. I've got all my resolutions in a box. They're going to be burned yeah. ritualistically. Very <laughs> Backyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you use do you use garbage as the, as like the fuel on the fire? And just don't forget, Frank. Just dump a bunch of plastic bottles and wrappers. No, that's not garbage. That's recycling. I'm a. I guess what both of those are. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, kerosene burns, gasoline explodes. My Carter's Carter's quick tip of the week. Is this something you learned from personal experience? No. Okay. All right. Like how you doing? Uh, I felt like there was a story there. I'm doing good, but you know, I could be better. And you know what I think could really take me to the top? Uh, a a speedball? <laughs> I thought you were going to say handy. <laughs> I mean, that might also do it. <laughs> <laughs> no um no i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna fill this i'll be right back i'm gonna fill this uh this is for the listener which is everyone except for carter uh i have a cup of coffee i'm indicating the carter it's about one third full i will be right back i'm going to go fill that with eggnog Ooh. So, listener, I'm assuming that he, the co- coffee cup, the mug, if you will, was a third filled with coffee, and he's now going to mix the coffee and the eggnog was into some horrid abomination, and then drink it on the podcast. Frank, I know you can hear this. Don't do it. Mmm. 
Mm-mm-mm. Tasty. Taste those eggs. Oh, yeah, dude. I actually think I saw a little bit of, like, clear yolk separate from everything else nice. going to the cup. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mixing uh, eggnog with coffee is, is very good. Also, eggnog with rum is also very good. I mean, anything with rum, probably. Coke, <laughs> uh, ginger beer. Uh-huh. Um, what else is good with rum? Yeah, let's sit here and just think about all the things that are good with rum. Uh, I, instead of, you know, maybe a, anything maybe a little else. salt water. Sweet and salty. That doesn't sound like it'd be good. Well, also, this rum is like it tastes very much like maple syrup. OK, well, um, or it has like a very mapley f- taste to it. So like you mix it with eggnog. Well, out on the like high you're seas, eating, you're, you're drinking pancakes out on the high seas. You got to, you know, make the rum last. So you might. Add a little seawater, spice things up. Oh, is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. If you're out on the high seas for a long period of time. Uh huh. Speaking of high seas, uh, the Admirals Club got a got a lot of ships captains there, don't we? Yeah, I think you know. What did we say before? We said that it's like a bar slash library slash like meeting room lounge area. There's that I think homing map thing. I think it kind of the Admirals Club like. Ba- okay, so yeah, so so to kind of catch people up. Uh, a few episodes ago, or just or just if you need a reminder, we talked about the plaza. Yeah, something uh, something. Pepe the plaza. I got I got to scroll up past a lot of talking about how much Jar Jar fucks uh, to find the actual name of the plaza. I think that's the name of the plaza. Jar Jar fucks. Jar Jar fucks. No, I don't have it here. I don't remember what it's called. You know, what? actually, I have it here, though. Pegum Plaza. Pegum Plaza. <laughs> My cousin. Uh, yeah, Pegum Plaza is the first plaza that you encounter when you the first kind of open space you encounter when you enter the the city of Parasari through like the main the main ferry routes um in it uh you have like a lot of people trying to sell like you know fake artifacts and you know uh there's a couple of really like fancy bars yeah. or rather they're they're kind of they're kind of like the rainforest cafe of Parasari in that like just the, the tavern You're probably of paying significantly more than you need to for like a very mediocre burger, but your drink comes with some fog in it, and that's that's real cool. Yeah. Um, and it's cold, but high above. So important. Yes, but like fifty feet above all of that, on the uh, at at the crest, the highest uh, in the, maybe the highest, let's say like five stories up or something. There is. The Admirals Club, which is a place exclusive to just ships captains, I think. Is it all ships captains or just some? I think you have to like, it's like a subscription. You have to like pay into it. Yeah, you got to pay your dues and you probably need to. Maybe you need to have an in. So like you need to know. somebody. Oh, you need a recommendation. Yeah, you need a referral. Uh, They they need to refer you. So so like. If you've been kind of training up and uh, you become a ship's captain of some renown, uh, you can 
Or we could make it so that you you still you no matter what you have to pay your dues, but maybe they're cheaper if you have a recommendation. So it's like a higher um, financial entry point for people who are not necessarily recognized. But you do have to be a ship's captain. That yes. no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be a ship, not a boat. Big difference. What is the difference? Uh, I think it's size. Oh, okay. You're just saying like can't can't go up with a rowboat and six hundred gold and be like, let me in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um it's gotta be a ship, not a boat. I think it also needs to be a, a nautical ship, not an airship. Yeah. So like in the times where there are airships, I think that this is specifically for people who brave the high seas, because what would an air pilot know about that? Yeah. Unless they have maybe they have a sister chapter or something. They have like a sister because I could see there being crossover. The Scadmirals um, Club, where they just do ska. They do ska and our admirals. The Scadmirals. The Scadmirals has definitely got to be a ska band, right? It's There's definitely be. a ska band known as the Scadmirals. If, if it is not, Frank, I think I know what we're doing. I think, I, yeah, I think that that's what our gift is to the world this yeah. year. Make a ska band. No, actually, you know what? I it's safe to talk about it now. Um, this is the first episode uh, we're recording after I'm making it official. So, Carter, you received the 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 new album art. I did, and at its in its current state, it doesn't have the title at the bottom or anything. But I think for the next episode for Christmas, I am going to release it uh, with the new with the new art. Nice. Sort of make it a new year. And yeah, it's it's exciting. It, um, it looks pretty good. It does. So yeah, ha- you know, Merry Christmas to everyone or happy holidays, whatever holidays you celebrate. Yep. And if you don't, then, you know, happy end of the year. But uh, yeah, so, OK, so we've got the Scodmirals. <laughs> we have the Admirals Club. I mean, are they actual ad- admirals or do we just call this something else? Like. Is that weird? I think it's I don't I don't think they care. Maybe it has like a militaristic. What do you call that origin? And maybe maybe I think the legend is like that was where it maybe like the building was originally a barracks for the Navy of the Marian Dominion. And and I think I think we'll talk about this um, in greater detail later. But. I get the feeling that the Marian Dominion that it more just collapsed than it was that Parasari like did a revolution or a rebellion. Um, and so I think that there's maybe something kind of interesting about why they use the t- name Adderall's club. Like what does that, how, the militaristic associations, you know, how does that correlate if it wasn't necessarily an uprising to get free of them? Um, I think that, that that's maybe questions for a later date. I'm fine just calling it the Admiral's Club for yes. now. We can kind of move on to exploring more of, you know, their amenities and what they're about. And we'll come back to that at some point. Yeah, but you know, the other parts of it, we talked about this like inner, this like magical map that tracks shipping routes and ships that have special like life alert neck pendants. Yeah. Yeah, so we talked about the idea that everybody who's part of the Admiral Club, uh, Admiral's Club, essentially gets like a tracker. And that tracker uh, is a way to sort of signal for help if you are out on the high seas and you get you run into trouble. 
And we laid out that out really loosely, but part of the idea was um, among the different rooms in the Admirals Club, there's probably like a library room or maybe like, you know, sort of the largest lounge area has um, very tall. I, I'm totally picturing like, you know, four four layers, four rows of books high, you know, with a beautiful uh, skylight that's like that spans almost the entire room, um, letting like plenty of light in. It's, you know, uh, lots of sort of lounge smoking chair type situation. Although they're probably just using that slime like there's maybe whatever we call that stuff that the nicotine slime, we should uh, we should just have like little pots of it that like are just like they have a cover and stuff. And so you just like sit down the chair and you basically like, you know, sort of butter your own arm with it, (laughs) Uh, rub it on like you're um, you're putting a nicotine patch on to just sort of relax. But then, of course, you have, you know, I think uh, uh, you've got butlers or buttresses or whatever you call like, a, you know, I guess that's a maid uh, <laughs> who are like, you know, taking drinks, uh, drink, drink requests and whatever, you know, yes. serving out rum. And um, and maybe some whiskey, honestly, because I think they do have access to some some grain. I think that uh, at the time of like after the, you know, the bubble. And the the people underseas. Oh man, that's an episode. Frank, write that down. We got to talk about that. But the like the the refugees who get their own land. Yeah, I think that they start making whiskey um, and selling it up uh, like topside for for high profits. So we've got a few different directions that we can go. I kind of have this like loose map in my head of what they're. The Admirals Club, specifically on Parasari, looks like because they have different chapters, right? This is maybe their main chapter, yeah, or their their biggest one. I think so. Um, and on some islands, it might just be like such a small, uh, like it might just be like a couple of rooms, and it's more just like a place to confer. But I think every place has one of these maps and some books. Um, but there's a, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that we could we could like kind of break this down. What do you want to talk about first? Um, how do you, what do you think the membership looks like? So the, by that question, I mean, like how many ship's captains are members? Um, how, how do they treat each other? Do they have a token of membership? That kind of thing. And how do they treat non-members that are also ship yeah. captains? I don't think, hmm. I don't think it's super exclusive. I think there might be a secondary tier of exclusivity. Like maybe you get elects or something where the ship captains basically have their own. It's not really a government, but it's a it's a hierarchy within the um, within the club where they are sort of representatives for the different chapters. So you have like a chapter head and you maybe have like two chapter I mean, I could follow like ship organization. First mate. <laughs> yeah, you have a first mate. Um, like, you know, the Admiral's Club first mate of the the Parasari chapter. Uh and um uh, maybe like also a quartermaster, you know, like you literally have people who, you know, th- you know, at one point I used to sail, uh, but most of my life right now is, is I'm like the quartermaster for the Parasari chapter of the Admiral's Club. Um, I don't think that there's too many positions like that but i think it's like people who i I think you have a home chapter 
where like you basically sign up and say that's your home chapter. And the next time that you get like an election or something, that's where you like can cast your vote to either, you know, keep the current uh, chapter head, you know, the the admiral, I guess you could call them. Maybe that's why they call it the Admiral's Club. Maybe. Uh, or that's that's why it's still called the Admiral's Club is like um, because ultimately it is the admirals that lead it. And then from within, um, you you do have like kind of an inner circle, but I do think that it is more broadly available to most captains. You know, as long as you can pay the cost, they think that the thing that they care about is that you are wealthy enough to be able to sort of make it in. Yeah. And I think that the majority, if you have, let's say, five to seven years of success as a captain, I think that that should be enough for you to be able to make it in uh, to the to the Admiral's Club. I think that it's uh, maybe... So it's a, kind of like a, like a loosely recognized rule that like, oh, you know, this person's like, you know, kind of nearing their fifth year. It's almost like a residency. And once you you know, get through that fifth year or so, uh, like you, you can start kind of ki- being considered and, and applying to captain's clubs. And maybe there's no rule that says you can't do that beforehand. You just might not get in. Yeah. I think it's like the presidency in the United States where the, there's a rule which says, you know, you have to be over like 35, but no one mm-hmm. younger than like 40 has ever been. Elected. Right. So yeah, it's just like, that doesn't happen. And I think it's similar to with the Emerald's club where there may not even be a rule for like a, a age limit, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you rarely get people probably younger than 40. Yeah. Because it just takes so and long I, to become a captain and to have that kind of money. Yeah. Yes, totally. That. And also, you know, I think we do maybe make it official that you have to have a refer uh, like a referral. Yeah. I think that you can kind of, if we want to do the thing where if you're wealthy enough, you can get in anyways, um, then what it is is that you can buy a referral. Like, you know, you basically not literally, but you basically pay somebody high up to say like, hey, will you refer me? Um, even though I've only been a captain for two years, I'm paying you like 10,000 gold. Yeah. And I think there's I think that that sounds fun to me. The idea of like I can totally picture like um, wastrel royalty of like some some, you know, prince or or uh you know like a a duchess who you know just totally a ne'er-do-well you know they're just not putting their life to any purposeful like thing and so like they decide that they're going to pay their way into the admiral's club and then become a captain and really it's just like you know they're standing behind the wheel but their first mate actually knows what's actually going on and you know yeah i don't know i think that that could be pretty fun yeah i agree yeah, I mean, occasionally they look fondly upon people who make, you know, large donations to the club. Well, of course, I think they need those to run, yeah. you know. And it, it, I don't know if they share funds with chapters. I mean, maybe that's part of the, the admirals interactions with each other. And there's definitely a hierarchy but among the admirals of like what clubs are like the most prestigious. Um, I think that it's kind of like, well, if you want more money to come into your chapter, make it attractive to be a part of your chapter yeah. you know which is obviously a catch-22 but that's how all these things typically go i think it's not like impossible for a chapter to you know request funds from sort of the club as 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 a whole but i could totally see them closing a branch closing a chapter because it just wasn't making enough money or whatever and so like 
you know, some admirals get put in very difficult positions because they're forced to keep a club open where they maybe only see like a couple new ship captains a month um, because they just are pretty out of the way or something. They're just not along trade routes. Yeah. Okay, you know what? That's actually kind of part of the, the same question. Uh, what kind of ships are these? You know, not all of them are going to be trade vessels, you know, or merchants, you know, especially if there's a lot of treasure hunting. I think I, I'm very curious as to like how they feel about people who are running treasure ships. Who, you know, are carting out like, you know, 20 or 30 adventurers to go dive. Mm hmm. I mean, would it be, let me ask you this, would it be more narratively interesting to have those be the kind of person somebody could encounter in an admiral's club? Or would it be uh, more interesting to have them not welcome at all and that it's only like uh, vessels that make kind of a certain threshold of money a year or something and the only way that uh like treasure captains like they they started their own guild or something or their own like you know sort of copain that happens out you know on the in the, in the harbor masters district or something i think that this i think this is how it goes there's probably one or two like ship captains who own several ships and probably mm -hmm. have like a treasure ship or two that goes out, you know, and mm -hmm. does this kind of thing. But for the mm -hmm. most part, people that are just treasure ship captains probably have their own mm -hmm. thing going. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it's both because I, I actually really like this idea. So, uh, A, yes, you definitely have, they've got their own society out there, um, especially because I think these are more sort of flash in the pan type. You'll try and buy a ship um, but like because it's so dangerous to go treasure hunting because of some of the waters that you're going in. Like there's no guarantee you'll come back. And so the ships are usually uh, I think there's shipwrights who literally make ships that are with a significantly reduced lifespan because they just assume that the person it's like buying a shitty car. Yeah. You know, it's like buying a car that's 25 years old that needs a lot of things replaced. There's a there's a big market for used ships and also ships that only have like a 10 or 15 year lifespan. Um, and so, you know, that's long enough for any, you know, treasure hunter to get their kicks or whatever. So they're like, look, if I'm still in the business in 15 years or 10 years or five years, even um, I'll I'll spend that money to get a better one. Um, but, yeah, I can totally see the you know, the people who it's like they have almost no prior experience, uh, you know, running a ship or whatever uh, and so they don't look that favorably on the treasure hunters but i agree with you i think that there are some who have some it is hard for the admirals to not respect them because they have been consistently excellent at finding the right spots and stuff for like 25 years yeah um and they sh and and also because the people who do survive that shit are typically pretty masterful in their in their captainry because um you know they're able to navigate out of like extremely dangerous reefs and stuff like that and so i think ultimately i think the only true requirement is you know aside from the dues obviously do you have a ship are you are you sailing a ship um i think a lot of the other stuff is is less official and it's more sort of like there's a you know 
a set of guidelines where it's like we just kind of or you know cultural standards expectations but yeah i think that basically anybody who can make it through the first five years of uh running a treasure hunting vessel and is still a captain after all of that and they still have their ship around is more likely to be looked favorably upon as long as they can afford to uh to to pay the dues yeah i think the the kind of ships captains that have you know like actually good good ships that you know do this kind of treasure hunting stuff that are in the admiral's club they're seen as Mm -hmm. you know i would say excellent in spite of doing this kind of like weird thing you know they're the ones that are like you know most of these you know treasure hunting people they're you know they don't care about the sea. They don't care about ships. They just go for the, you know, the kicks and they, half the time they lose their ship. But these ones are the true ones actually. Get yeah. Shit. Yeah. I think that there's, a, there is some unfortunate shittiness about these being, you're one of the good ones mm-hmm. uh, going on. I think yes. there's definitely some of that, especially because the kind of people who could afford to be a captain, mm-hmm. I think are coming from wealth and whether that's human or elven you know imperial or you know post-imperial or whatever it doesn't really matter because you're definitely coming from a higher income bracket um i mean i think most people who are running a ship how much is a ship in you know fifth edition let me check it's a lot i don't know but they're exp- they're like thirty thousand gold or something it is not cheap a sailing it's the kind ship, of thing which is you know a small ship uh-huh. Which can has twenty has people, two masts, twenty p- passengers, a yeah. hundred tons of cargo. Uh huh. Ten thousand. Yeah, yeah. That kind of money right there is more than most people see in their lifetimes. Um, the only way to get that kind of money is like, I mean, we're kind of talking about th- this is like the naval equivalent, or or it is the educational equivalent of becoming a doctor in a lot of ways. Um, the, what you need to know and the way that you need to manage, you know, we're talking upper management meets, you know, tons of education and you have to know literally everything about a ship. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that is, that is a lot uh, of money too. So in order to afford any of that stuff, you have to come. It is, it is, strange for those people to not come from means and so of course they're going to look at the the people who come up that way as being quote one of the good yeah, ones so which is just shitty so it's basically yeah i mean the treasure hunters are like their whole thing is they're trying to get lucky anyways so a galley which is a faster bigger ship crew 80 150 tons of cargo faster as in it's four miles per hour speed instead of two so it's twice as fast Thirty thousand. twice as fast Thirty thousand gold yeah price goes up i think there's one that's 45 as well yeah so that's that's just you know like like you're saying frank this kind of money is incredible and you know a lot of times you're not buying a ship and i'm not talking about you might not you might like lease one maybe but that probably not as much a lot of times you get one from you know inheritance or yes i see what you're saying yes absolutely i think Yes, there's definitely people who lend out their ships. I think that that absolutely makes sense to me as a business model where a bunch of people get together and, you know, they start like, you know, we're able to lend out this ship and then we, you know, get a certain amount of money back and 
Um, but yes, I think that a lot of these ships are inherited as well, um, because maybe that's why they still call it the Admiral's Club. I wonder if there are what it is, is it started as decommissioned warships from the Marian oh, Dominion. Yeah. And you had a lot of you had a lot of uh, people who had some military might. But for whatever reason, like, you know, they 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 weren't enacting the militaristic power. And as a result, like. You know, you have all of these warships that aren't being used and all these admirals, even if it's in name only, you know, because they, you know, were trained in it, but they didn't actually ever use it. And they're like, well, we need to make money somehow. And what's a better way to exclude the people around us if we can't do it through caste systems anymore of just creating a money based caste system? Bingo. You know, you have to enter. And it sort of trickled down to the, you know, upper levels of wealth, uh, you know, beyond like just royalty you know, in the coming, you know, centuries. And then from there down to the aristocracy, uh, like levels of, of wealth, um, to the point where like, you know, a very wealthy tradesfolk can get in. Um, and I think that you can make cheaper ships. Like I could see a ship going for as cheap as 5,000 gold. Um, but that's a, if you know the person, um, B have some sort of leverage and C it's a tiny, like, like one mast ship, you know, we're talking about, you know, yeah, this is a crew of 15 um, and it is oh, maybe costs more than it's worth in some ways, like uh, uh, to upkeep and and manage it and stuff for the amount of cargo it can carry. It can maybe carry like 30 or 40 tons and that's it. Yeah, but. Yeah, I guess, we, you know, this is a, for another episode, the kind of origins after the fall mm-hmm. of Marion Dominion. I'm really curious about yeah. that. I'm I'm really interested in like because I think I think that they did somehow their military power did cease, but I don't know what happened there. I mean, we could play with the, the the things. Maybe this is that that will finally be time to like come back to playing with the ideas of like how water magic is used or whatever. Or with guns. Because, you know, we've yeah, we've kind of talked about that before of having sort of like ship to ship combat with the. Uh, like rifles and things that are that use magical power as like water or something but yeah i don't know we'll figure that out yeah let's see okay i mean i think it's uh, with relation to we've talked about the charter and how you know there's there's a sort of a loose structure of how that all comes together the different chapters and their relationships to each other uh what about this map let's talk about this map now this is one of sort of the more interesting things, most interesting things that's going on at the Admirals Club. So I think it's got, it's got several things on it. One, it has, it's a, it is literally a map. It shows the locations of islands and the sea, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't know how big it is or how how much of the world it shows, but I think it's fairly sizable. I think it definitely shows the Marian Ocean, yeah. um, uh, to the most part, and I think that it's like you could probably on the eastern and western it's also a pragmatic thing so i think on the western edges you do see a rune um but it's more of just sort of like a trace yes. of like what they think it looks like in general because again like the old Arunes, maps of Africa. even even the shores of a rune are not very accessible they're kind of just foreboding cliffs to their southern reaches like somewhere around the epicenter you actually do see the the rend um in the eastern continent of kotara the supercontinent 
Um, if you remember our previous season and Carter just is like a reminder to everything, the southern border of Arun is a huge mountain range um, where there. Actually, I think you kind of came up with this, the idea of like the earth being torn asunder or Sadar being yes, torn asunder by the, there. by the moon impact. Yep, and that there's literally like a rough line um, that is cutting across the continent um, that splits the north and southern halves from each other, not on the tectonic level, but near. Um, yeah. Literally, if you were to peer down from those from that mountain range, you could see like uh, just a dim red glow from like the the magma below because the ocean literally just dumps into it. Yeah, my uh, inspiration, Frank, I don't know if you know this, is the North and South Barrens from World of Warcraft after the Cataclysm expansion. Oh, I do. I know of the Barrens, but I mean, I've way back in the day, you know, I think I, I think I explored them a little bit while I was a low level and I figured out how to do sort of a jump cheat. I don't know if you know about this, but where you jump weirdly and you can like climb impossible slopes that way and get access to areas that you shouldn't have access to. Um, I literally only did that just because I was curious what was on the other side, but it was a way for me to see the Barrens when I was far too low of a level to like go in there and survive. Back, back a long time ago, before Cataclysm, so like you know, years and years ago, I would mm -hmm. playing World of Warcraft to get gold. I would farm deviant fish in deviant in fish? the North Barrens, and I'd come up from the South Barrens to do it. And this is the only place you could get them is in these in these oases in the Barrens. And they sold they sold for a fair bit, and you know you could they, they would just occasionally drop recipe for the deviant fish soup, which was worth even more. But basically, man, wow, throwback. Yeah. And uh, I tried to go back and do that, like you know, five years ago, and mm -hmm. Cataclysm separated the North and South Barrens, so I can no longer do my route. And I'm like, wow. Oh, no, your root is it gone. Is. Damn it. They just blew up the entire world just to fuck over your gold farming. Exactly. There's a. Uh, oh, what was I going to say? OK, man, I, I won't get into it, but classic WoW or like I played during BC um, Burning Crusade. That was a trip, man. I, I don't think World of Warcraft classic is as good as people think it is. Um, just because I. I can I can tell you like there's definitely things I was glad that um, systems they implemented. But I will say there was something so cool about playing the game. The only reason that the game was fun was because I, I was part of a guild and I was part of a guild where a friend of mine uh, was like sort of my in uh, well, almost like an admiral's club, you could say. Yeah. I just remember like getting my mount my first mount was such a big deal because i think you can do that at level 40 but there's no way i had enough gold to get one at 40 so my guild uh lent me the money and then i paid them back uh when at higher levels you get you get money much faster and so like the moment that i had enough i like paid them back but like i just remember having social systems like that that needed to be in place because the game was almost intentionally like sort of hostile uh, to to trying to go it alone. Yes. I think that's actually really interesting and cool, and I, I wish more games did that, but uh, but whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, this map <laughs> on the eastern reaches, uh, it touches on Arun, and whatever the southern continent is, we'll discover that one day. Um, there is... 
low. Oh, Jesus, dude. We're not doing a high roll, low roll <laughs> thing. Uh, there is a bunch of islands. And then, yeah, I think on the western edge is, is the eastern. What? Eastern shore yeah, of go. Umdara, the supercontinent. Yep. Yeah. Which at some point we need to build that out. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the more that we talk about uh, uh, Parasari and the Marian Ocean, um, the more I keep on thinking about, in my mind, this sort of like this west, uh, on the eastern side of Umdara, this almost like um, necklace of baronies and different like lords and ladies who, you know, kind of, I think it's kind of making me think of like Lord's Alliance in Forgotten Realms. Yeah. But I like this this idea that the land is kind of more wild there, and this is the closest thing to to civilization that they've got. Yes. But we'll have to leave that for another time. Um, Frank, maybe you write that down, uh, and and we can, you know, maybe we'll take a vacation from uh, Parisari to this, uh, you know, visit this for a week or something like that. But later. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. So so we didn't really ever touch on this. The point of the map was basically just like. A, it, it keeps track of what's going where, um, which I think is a way for Admiralty. The, the Admiralty is, I think, something it's referred to sometimes as uh, to keep track of its members, make sure that, hey, you were assigned a trade route. Why were you, you know, deviating off of this? Are you doing some underhanded deals that, you know, because if you are, <laughs> you need to let us in on yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I think just like, making agreements and then uh people can you might actually have a couple each chapter might have one or more people whose job is to literally just like keep track uh keep a record of the routes and and record like what they they you know just watch the ships all day um it might actually be the butlers or whoever is like also serving the drinks spend a certain amount of time each day just kind of like occasionally writing down um a shorthand that uses like coordinate system and stuff to say like, all right, they, you know, by this time today, they travel, you know, uh, they, they got to this location and maybe it's an embarkment thing, you know, like where it's, you spend the, the time of your embarking. And then at the morning of each day, like they spend time writing down the locations of all the ships so that they can, um, then report that stuff to investors or people who'd want to do trade and be like, Oh, they did this in this short of a time. And also they're on their way back. Well, that's perfect. I will wait until they get back. And then I have a shipment for this specific person. And I think a lot of those deals also get done in the Admiral's yeah, Club. Yeah. So but I, does that mean that non-members are allowed in? Um, I think that it's kind of like if you're a member, you're allowed to bring a plus one. Okay. They have to be there with yeah. them. Do you think, do you think that some trades, uh, some like merchants can get like a token or something um, where like they can buy a token. It's very expensive and it doesn't give them access to the Admiralty, but it does allow them to spend time in certain approved spaces where they can meet with admirals or seek them out or something. I think that's probably maybe, maybe the Admiral can award a certain number of tokens a year or something. And that might be the way to do expire. it so that they're not just constantly bugging yeah. the, the admirals when they want to just chill out. But so I do like your idea more of them, of them being like they can have a yeah. plus one. But I think that we're going back to the map. You know, we have the regular map. Then we have enchantments mm-hmm. on it, you know, illusions that have. I yeah. think there's 
there's two there's three types of illusions. There's the trade routes and maybe markings of dangerous waters. Okay. There's ships, and this is like sourced from the pendant, the the the, uh, the talisman that the the masters wear, the mm-hmm. admirals wear. Yeah. And this, you know, and you can like and then the ships and it shows where they currently are and that kind of thing. And then the last mm. thing is I think that uh, along the table there are like wands and you can like pick up a wand and tap a ship and it will like tell you information like name of the ship. Oh, yeah, dude, some, some augmented reality like pops up a exactly. window of information. I love it. Like sort of it scrawls it in magic. Uh, um, that's really cool. And I think that with the wands you can like annotate things. Yeah, you get those long like uh, sticks that you know people are using on war maps to yeah. move pieces around and stuff. Absolutely, that's cool. Um, they're like pool cues, <laughs> but even longer, I think, because like at least in Parasari, like the, the the size of the map I'm thinking of is like it's like ten foot by thirty yeah, it's foot. Like, foot. like I'm I'm thinking this thing is yeah. huge, um, and obviously not everybody. I think in like the like on the other end, like the much, much smaller chapters where it might be in a city of only a few hundred people, that's more of an outpost or refueling location. Um, I don't know. I mean, refuel, maybe just like supplies. Yeah, you need to get rations um, and fresh water. Mm-hmm. Especially if there's like hazardous waters. Um, in spaces like that, I think that it might just be a map on a wall. Yeah. And I think the way that this is enchanted is essentially the admiral who gets i don't think it's always an earring or always a bracelet or anklet yeah. or whatever i think that they can get um a piece of jewelry enchanted it, um, it just needs to come from or... yeah a certain gem and there's an association between that gem and a gem inside of a very simple like we could say um you know ivory puck and that puck then can be sealed inside of things uh like you can put it in like a very like nice sort of uh, uh like a wooden carving of a ship like mahogany or you could use metal or whatever you want um or coral you know that could see that being used and it's whatever like the admiral decides to you know have commissioned basically yeah. um and so you have these like dude you have these tiny ships carvers that uh, people somewhere that like regularly are commissioned by the um the admiralty to like make these little ships um, and you'll have an admiral come and describe what they want and then pay you like a pretty sizable sum to make this simple carving. And then the puck gets inserted into it and sealed in. And then that becomes like the sort of the location uh, or the locator. Um, but uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, that's up to you as to where you want to pay for those. Um, you know, sometimes another club or char- chapter that, is currently currying favor with a certain captain because they know a lot of money comes through that captain. Uh, which we'll get to that in a second. I just realized a very simple solution for that. Is somewhere, yeah, somewhere else in the ocean, they'll be like, hey, we made a ship for you. Um, just sort of to honor our recent, to our, the recent successes that you've had in our waters. And could kind of be like this like token. And so, you know, the the most wealthy and most successful captains might have a ship even in like the least interesting of waters um, uh, because they're like that significant. Yeah. You know, they, they, they spent their money to just be like, I'm commissioning ships for literally every chapter. So yeah, I think that that's pretty cool. 
have no idea what happens to ships when they uh, dock, though. There's no way that there's enough space. Maybe on the edge of the map, there's like, uh, you know, space for all of the ships to sort of like it. It just says it's scrawled the name of like wherever they're docking and it just has them all docked there. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, as far as as far as like how they make money, I think, first of all, the dues is an obvious answer, but I think they also get a commission, not a commission, uh, like yeah, a percentage of every deal that's made in the club itself. Yeah. Like the merchant pays 2% or something to the club, and it's more than enough for them to like get wealthy off of the deals that are made there. You know, because they're making money off of literally doing nothing beyond just providing a nice place for them to to do their business. And that, I mean, that by itself is is sort of part of the experience. It's like you need to perfect the experience. You need to be this like, you know, above and beyond kind of uh, uh, place to be um, so that nobody ever thinks about doing business. Yeah, elsewhere. And, I, and I think that there's a lot of benefits, like, you know, besides just, you know, map safety, there's also, I think that, you know, captains get access to a lot of reading material for free and, you know, any, I think you're, there, there is um, mm -hmm. uh, room arrangements that are made through the, the ad yes, definitely. and, you know, obviously refreshments always. You probably still have to pay, but um, it, it's probably severely reduced. Yeah, they have deals. Or maybe you don't even have to pay. Maybe it's just covered as part of your... The, your, the dues. Um, or maybe the dues are like their bottom of the... I think maybe it depends on the chapter. Yeah. Some chapters include it, especially as an incentive in smaller locations. But for like Parasari, like the dew just gets you in the door. You have to pay uh, an additional fee to get a room because there's so many people coming through anyways that you kind of need to sort of de-incentivize it because they don't have a ton of rooms. They don't always want to be at max capacity because then they start to look like a boarding house. I think I think how it goes is uh, at Parasari, the Admiral's um, Club does not have rooms. It basically mm. gives recommendations for inns. And if you are part of the club, you can get reduced rates at yes. different inns. They're like sort of friends of the friends of the club. Man, we should start a business sometime. We would be such good business partners. These are some good ass ideas. Let's charge people, but not actually provide any services of our own. <laughs> We're a recommendation service. And, you know, get that ska band on the go. Right. We got to get the ska murals going. You mentioned reading material. I think that amenities is really important. Before we depart from the map completely, I do want to say, so like, you know, in this giant room where you've got like, you know, sort of all the different lounge furniture and places, and then you have like quietly, you can hear, it, it makes me think of like a library. Yeah. It's just the, it's just not, there's not shelves in the main area. It's just the shelves around the edges. Um, and I think there are private, more private rooms too, obviously for, obviously for doing business, um, but also like, you know, there might be reading areas and like you said it's like amenities for relaxing and stuff um i want to get to the books in just a second i just wanted to say that the whole thing with you know which is maybe honestly could be almost its own whole episode of uh that we're just kind of dismissing at the moment the whole warning system that's going on with the um enchanted jewelry yes. It really de-incentivizes pirate, uh, uh, pirate activity. And I think this is maybe one of the reasons why pirate activity is less common but more severe in, in the Marian Ocean. Like, it doesn't 
it, it, these are more settled waters than like the the frigid north water or the um, inland ocean of of uh, Fenislil on on Umdara. Um, but I think that it's it's still. Be, you know, because of the fact that they keep track of everybody, it means that if you are going after someone, you might be incurring the wrath of like the entire Admiral's Club um, as a pirate, yeah. um, which is not easy to deal with. Um, so if you're good, you have to be really good uh, to, to, to make it. Um, because like the moment that anybody's under threat, the, the jewelry goes off. And I think I think we talked about it as like whoever is the closest or maybe they assign people, but I'm kind of thinking maybe it's just a range. Anybody within, let's say, 150 miles or something or whatever, let's say uh, two days worth of travel. So maybe anybody within, let's say, 50 miles or something. Is whatever the number is within a certain range is all alerted and it is their job to then go to the source. I think that their jewelry is able to help them like kind of echolocate like as they get closer to somebody um you know that it like starts to 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 flash with more urgency or something or maybe the reverse of that so it's not constantly flashing at you the moment start it starts flashing you're veering off course but then so then you have several ships converging out of their trade routes to deal with this one source of of problem yeah something like that yeah so Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I mean, we're, we're definitely, we're definitely near the end of the episode here. Um, end of our time, but I, I do want to talk about the books for a little bit. Um, even if it's just kind of our one and one, I don't know if you had any specific thoughts you wanted to bring to the table. I mean, I'm thinking of like, you know, uh, illustrious author, authors such as Ernesto Hemingway and Oh my Johnny God. Buffet, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask what kind of books. I was like, are they all just nautical charts? I mean, I think a whole there's probably a whole room of just nautical charts. Oh yeah. For like different places and things. Um and I think there's enchanted books too that you maybe need to be like watched while you use or something that are essentially like a tablet where you can Google Maps zoom in and out on. But I think you could, for instance, oh, you know what? You can order traces done of the maps. Um, if you need, you're like, I am going to be going to this island that I've never charted to before. Um, going to need a map drawn of it. Uh, and then you go to the, you know, you... you There's you, definitely an in-house cartel. You, you get a request from the boy. You go get the yeah. boy to get you, uh, uh, you know... I want a trace of this done. If you can get it to me, you know, get it to me done by tomorrow morning and there's uh, there's some extra gold in your, your sock for, you know, gold in your stocking for it. Uh, <laughs> I'm also, I'm also, <laughs> I'm also Santa. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Uh, <laughs> All right. But it's not just books on ships, tactics and stuff, though. I think that it is a sharing of information, that there's sort of a pride in their collection. I think that, yeah, there's maybe, I'm not sure what kind of like, you know, yeah, like, like good ancient literature there is because the elves didn't really write stuff down. They didn't. I mean, they had the average. Actually, actually, uh, I think to... they might've written down other people's stuff, but not their own. You know what I mean? Why would they record their own history? They have the Avril, but they might record other racist histories. I don't know why, but I'm getting the feeling that the Marian Dominion had a 
mm, I'm not going to say gentler, but more curious relationship with other uh, ancestries than Elvin, um, than the uh, than than the Eldian Imperio did. Like, I think the Eldian Imperio is still much more just like slavery um, of humans and kind of everyone else will do business with them if we have to. But there's a hatred. Whereas I think there is maybe more of like a noble savage mentality that they have. You know, sort of the English, uh, uh, how curious these people are. Kind of, we must we must track and record the way that they behave. Very quaint. Um, because I, th- right? Well, because I think that they're part. They were part of a culture that everything was almost always wild and and not, if not adventurous, exotic and 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 strange. Yeah. Because everything was islands, you know, everything was this great unknown. And so it, it, I think it maybe inspired more curiosity about people. I think they still treated them below their own oh, station. You know, they saw themselves as sort of the chosen people or whatever. Um, but it definitely, I think you're right. It led them to be like, we need to, uh, we want to record and understand more about these strange and, 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 and wild savages who have no knowledge of the Marian way. So there might be like... They don't even know that their ocean is called the Marian Ocean. The fools. There, there might be ancient elven records. Mm-hmm. Also, also because the Eldian Imperio was already stationed on dry land when um, the whelming Do you happened. Mean the, uh, not the Eldian Imperio, but the... Sang- what became okay. the Eldian Imperium? The part of the Sanguine. Because the Sanguine Empire obviously was yeah. everywhere. The, the, the Empire in its entirety reacted differently to the different places, right? Um, and so, like, the Eldian Imperium, what, what became the Eldian Imperium already was on dry land, whereas a tremendous amount of change was required for the people of the, 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 the royalty of the Marian Dominion to adjust to their new lives as, like, seafarers. Because, you know, they weren't before. Those were the mountains. And now they live on the mountains and everything else is water. And that is not how it was three generations ago, 3,000 years ago. So, yeah, I think that it's a I think it's a it's a situation where. They just aren't used to. So much is like like change is part of life. Maybe it wasn't always this way. You know, there was there was thousands of years when it wasn't this way. But now change is a part of life, and uh, we need to know enough to make sense of it. Yeah, and I, I think that there was some, and you can correct me, there was some shallow seas in the deepest part of what is now the ocean. Yeah, yes, and, and there was some clustering around that, which is part of why they had to do so much movement. Yeah. But all, all of this to say, I do think that they wrote a lot, and so there is maybe a longer, there's more recorded history of the Marian Dominion than in a lot of places in the world, or at least of here's what the old ways were, or here's like what we just, when we first, oh man, I think this has got to be what our next episode is because uh, uh, I have some really good ideas about how this all looks and I don't want to spoil them yet. But as far as it relates to the books, I think the Admiralty picked up their, like they are to the islands of, of the Marian Ocean, what the libraries are to um, Everest in that, like, they are the holders of knowledge. I think um, books do not leave their premises. I don't think it's a library where you can check things out. 
and Ooh. they collect knowledge and it's kind of a, a source of um, prestige. I, okay, if, the, if this is a source of prestige, I have an idea for it to top us off. Yeah, what's up? Is that our is, is that your so. one? All right. Yeah, lay it on me. In Alexandria, where the great library was, there was a policy uh-huh. where books were confiscated from ships, taken to the library, copied, and then the copy was given to the person who owned the previous book. Really? Yep. Wow. I like that. So I think maybe this is what happened. Maybe think... there is this like, if you have any books, you know, we will take them. We'll take you down your name and name of your ship or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We'll see if we have them. If we have them, your books are returned. If they're not, if we don't have them, you know, after, you know, a week or two weeks or however long it is, we'll get you a copy of the book back. Yeah. Yes. And I think that the Admiral's Club works in association with harbor masters across the ocean um, where the harbor masters are required to report any discovered books um, yeah. or any any a reported books of like, hey, uh, uh, you know, we we acquired three new books or something like that um, to be to be captured and copied. Um, and then, you know, get the copies to be returned or that is, you know, yeah, any as like stowaway cargo of, of, Hey, this like contraband. And I mean, not contraband, but like you were supposed to report this. You didn't. What do they call that when you're going through customs? Maybe that's just customs. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But basically like, yeah, you're supposed to report this to customs and you didn't. So here's here's kind of my one in terms of that. It, 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 I think this is that really nice. This is a good cherry on the on, on top because it adds a little bit of flavor and throws a little bit of disarray into the in, into the very neat structure of the Admiralty, which is despite the fact that it's a very corporatized system, there are times where, well, how are you going to get that book? It was reported that this very obscure island that has no interest to anybody else is, you know, it's got this, it's got this very rare copy of something, something, something. Well, somebody has to go and get that and bring it back to a library. I don't know how the admirals decide that, but, you know, you send out a vessel or the admiral goes out themselves to make sure that the book is recovered. And as a result, you have like these, you know, adventures where the admiral has to go out on, on, on the seas to pick up this very rare copy of this book that, you know, you know, has a ton of very important information to be shared with nobody but the, the admiral. I think that caps us off. I think, well, so here's, here's sort of my last, last question. Do they share this information with others? Can other people go into the libraries? I think you have to have permission from a member. Yeah, I think that there's a whole dynamic here that I'm reading, which is that plus one thing yeah. is a lot of power. Uh, and, and getting connections to captains is a big deal because that allows you access to the library. So there's probably a lot of lore keepers who have associations with, I mean, they might just have their own special relationship with the Admiralty of like, they're allowed to look at a certain number of books or, you know, have, they can have books brought out to them in sort of a segregated reading area. Um, but only because they have an association with the Admiralty. Maybe it's because the lore keepers make it their job 
to like every time a new admiral is elected that they sort of build the specific relationship so that whenever the admiral can kind of make them their plus one when they're there, yeah. you know, sort of rent out their time, if you will. Yeah. I could sort of see like a scheduled board of like, well, I can't you can't be my plus one, you know, at this time because, you know, I have this other captain and you're going to have to find a time next week or something. And so there's sort of this like rolling associations of people who are interacting with the secretary of the captain or whatever you call that person, secretary of the admiral or whatever they are, who keeps track of the admiral's schedule and says, well, I can pencil you in next week on a, you know, on a on a on a Faradin or something. Um, yeah. I'll take us out. Thanks for letting us be your escape. If you forgot your worries and you want to make others forgetful, we're in every podcast service known to the knowing. So don't be greedy. Share us with your friend. <laughs> that isn't actually a true statement, though. Because the knowing don't... that We're not on every podcasting service known to the knowing because the knowing don't know any podcasting services because there aren't podcasts in hell. Maybe there are. In the in the far future of the Ooh, maybe we'll Hello <laughs> <laughs> May 40k. Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh did we discuss something that was confusing as hell? Uh of course we did. But um chances are that there is some context in the podcast description, so go there. You can also explore the subreddit or reach us at the Lorekeepers on Twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com for questions or things you'd like to hear in future episodes. I'd like to also mention that um, now that I'm, a, I, at the time of this recording, I'm about to be going on my nice end of the year break, uh, which is exciting, both podcast recording break, but also break from work. When I do, I think I might find some time to do a couple of entries into the record of the lore keeper. So feel free to check that out by, at the time of, uh, that, by the time that you hear this. Might be some new entries worth uh, worth checking out. That's exciting. Thanks mm -hmm. to Josh Silker for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lorekeeper's theme. Until next time, don't forget there all there are always more ships to sail. Always more boats to copy. <laughs> You got you always got to do an extra one, don't you? Don't you know? Right? Maybe. I mean, hey, maybe. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>Hey, just a quick heads up that the um, the preamble this week. Um, I'm eating waffles, so yeah, just you'll hear some tinkling. You'll hear some. Mm -hmm. Oh shit! Actually, I should I should turn time that is on, huh? Shouldn't I? Probably. Are you recording? I am. All right. All right. Clap on ten. All right. After this, I gotta I gotta do the uh, the character sheet. Talk to is his name Marsh? Last Marshall. Night? Mr. Marsh. Marshall or um, what is it? Um. I sometimes call him Marshawn. Marshawn, is that his fantasy name? No, no. Um I think I, I think I there is a um there is a famous footballer by the name of Marshawn Lynch. I'm assuming you're talking about football, the American yeah. sport. Yeah.
Oh, you were. I thought you were. I, I actually assumed that you were talking about soccer. No. But I used the really? term footballer as if it was soccer. If you follow. Okay. Because we don't call football players footballers in the United States. But I prefer that because I think it's footy. Yeah. The f- footsies. Well, the f- footsies something very different than yes. footy. In any case, uh, Marshawn Lynch was possibly is a famous football player. Was possibly <laughs> like he? Oh, he might still be alive. Is that exactly. what you're saying? I thought exactly. you're saying like now disgraced. <laughs> Probably not. It, it was revealed he was listening to uh, I don't know Airbud the entire time. Um, and so sometimes I refer to him as Marshawn because of that. I don't know why. For some reason, there, there. I know, I know two names. Be- just simply because they share a last name. Mm-hmm. I think the Attorney General of the United States, or like, you know, wh- whatever they're called, the head of the... The Attorneys General? Is yeah, that what you're referring one. to? Yeah. Under Obama, was at one point Loretta Lynch? No relation. That name sounds familiar, No yeah. relation, I believe, to Marshawn Lynch. Okay. But I, know, I remember both names because they share the last name Lynch, which is, you know... Somewhat unfortunate, I think, in history. It's a kind of an unfortunate word. Used. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the word itself because of, you know, certain connotations and certain Well, I kind of wonder if the, the word comes from the name of somebody first. Maybe. You might, might be right. In any case. Can you oh, hear this, by the I way? Did. I heard the cat. It's just incessant. Is that Maisie? That sounded mm-hmm. like Maisie. Yep. There, there wasn't enough ass in it for it to be Finn. I don't know. I would say that Maisie has more ass in her meow. Really? Finn's, Finn's meow is like... I see. It's like the highest pitch. It's, it's unbelievable coming from him. And Maisie, since she was born, has had this like lower like... Ah! I see. <laughs> but... So, yeah, I, I refer to Marshall typically as Marshall, occasionally as Marshawn, sometimes as Marsh or Mr. Marsh. Isn't Mr. Marsh? Isn't that um, Randy Marsh from South Park? I'm not sure. I saw Stan Marsh's dad. I see. I, I have, uh, I, I think I named a Pokemon in one of my playthroughs after him. That was Mr. It was Mr. Marsh was the Pokemon, and I think it fucking died. Um, Wait, it died? How did you kill a Pokemon? Oh, when I was playing the rule set where if it oh, faints, you're doing a Nuzlocke run? Yeah, yeah. If it faints, okay. it dies. <laughs> it was a Shroomish as well. He quite likes Shroomish, apparently. Okay. I mean, I believe that. That's a good one. So, yeah. So you spoke with Marshall because I, I I mentioned you. I remember you mentioning to me that you were going to talk to him about your awesome R shit, and so I spoke to him about what you told me, saying that mm-hmm. oh you know Frank's probably going to talk to you about this at some point, and then he yeah. was concerned because of who because it's apparently the God of the Dead and his pantheon is like top tier Big Daddy, mm-hmm. and so maybe he was worried about. 
you wanting to be like son of greatest god ever i don't know yeah exactly what was going on you know no i we we talked uh, it became very clear to him that that is not what i was seeking and i just basically told him i was like yeah i don't even know what god this is associated with honestly if you have ideas you know we should do that and he seemed hesitant to that um because i think i think he just would rather me figure it out myself yeah but uh no it worked out fine um good he's actually really excited now uh because we we sort of convened and i know some of the information but i don't know a lot of it i do know that like my character feels like they're they're meant for something and that this is like I don't want to reveal too much. I mean, you you know the gist of kind of uh, the main stuff, but as far as like narrative elements or allowing things to sort of slowly unroll or unfurl, I'd rather just kind of let that happen naturally. But, Makes sense. But you know everything that you need to know. Like, uh, I don't think anything, I don't think we went back on anything I told you and Martha. So Good. I, I won't say that it's necessarily the God of Death because I don't actually know who it is who's speaking to me entirely um it's just as you don't actually know who's speaking to you well i mean or who you're kind of serving for and stuff yeah who who has granted me great power and great responsibility right. mm-hmm. besides my uncle ben i was gonna say but uh yeah hey dude um on another note a link between worlds is one of the best zelda games i've ever played yeah it's better than Ocarina of Time. Hmm. Ocarina of Time is like a citizen game. You know, it's just like you can't argue with what it did for video games. But at the same time, I don't know if I'd necessarily enjoy watching Citizen Kane anymore. And I got through Ocarina of Time, but I got through it. You know, it's like it was a game where it's like I played it and I enjoyed it, but I, I mostly got through it. And A Link Between Worlds is a game that it just. I mean, this is true with a lot of a lot of Zelda games, but like they learn from the past, you know, every single one of them takes those experiences and then just like um, iterates on them and and improves off. Hopefully most of the time. I mean, there are there are obvious exceptions. I think Minish Cap is a, a flawed game. It's a flawed like that I like because I like it, Minish Cap. It could have been so much better, I think, is is my main thing. I loved the size size play. <laughs> <laughs> i love i love the the shrinking and growing and stuff like that um but i was watching a retrospective from a guy uh who i think does a good job of breaking down the zelda games and i think that he really um did a good job of pointing out uh issues with the minish cap as kind of just a the kinstones um just kind of you like he described it as this it's the only zelda game i know where you actually need to grind and i thought that that was an interesting because like i played it as a kid you know and when i was a kid like i didn't mind grind i had so much fucking time on my hands i was getting so much use out of that cartridge and so like you know doing the like for instance that if i don't know if you remember the shell miniature game i think you, a little bit in order to get like a piece of heart, there are 130 figurines that you uh, you can collect. You have to collect. And uh, the first time that you collect one, it's a 100% chance that you're going to get a new one. Second time, it's a 99% oh, chance. Yes. And in order to increase that percentage as it goes down, you have to uh, add more shells to the machine. 
Um, and so it gets more and more expensive, and you can only hold a max of 999 shells at any point. And so it's just like, it's this really strange, like, why did you add the system? It's a very I don't know. He was, system. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's literally like Pachinko. <laughs> but yeah. the thing is, is like, I didn't, it's like, yeah, if you want to get that last quarter heart, uh, you know, the last complete container, sure, that is really annoying. But there are so many other things that that game does really enjoyably. I think... One of the things I had completely forgotten about was how good the music is. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember. Oh, dude, you should go back and see it. Like, just kind of do a shuffle play on, like, the OST on YouTube. Holy okay. shit, man. There are some bangers in there. Like, so good in terms of, like, portraying, I don't know, wonder and, and mystery. And I think it made the world, literally the soundtrack is playing a big part in, like, making the world feel bigger than it is. Like, there's the Water Temples track that here. You know what? Let me actually just open it up on Discord. Oh, cool. They're making a Tom and Jerry movie. That sounds horrible. I mean, it is just like massive amounts of violence. That's kind of you know, America's well, it's favorite just like, pastime. Doing whatever. Just have it with real cats and just have people like just absolutely abuse the cats, you know? I mean, it's, like, it's, it is hammers. It's real. It's real people, dude. Oh, is it like Cats, the film? I don't know, man. Let's I hope, hope not. Let's hope it is. Okay, here. All right, I'm playing Temple of Droplets. Ooh, that's a good name. Here, let's uh, let's play at the same time. Got it. All right, ready? All right, we're, we're, are we going on three or on go? Uh, on play. Three, two, one, play. Three, two, one, play. It's haunting. I know, right? It feels so ancient. I think it does a really good job of nailing, like, and, and, the, the, and the little, like, sleigh bells. And in the horns It's like in. water droplets. Yeah. Whatever those are. I mean, it's some synth. It's, <laughs> it's some GBA synth right there. It's true. Oh. I get the drop. Do, do. I just remembered like moving through this and then like the appeal to me, I'm going to stop it. Um, the appeal to me of the fact that your final boss is an octo rock. It's just a frozen octo rock, but you're tiny. And there's something that is so cool about being a tiny, being tiny. And all of a sudden this like very banal creature that literally is one sword swipe um, like later becomes like this huge monster that you have to fight. I love that. It's so fun. Um, I was going to say, uh, do you. I, I, I figured that you would like the game because you also forge a sword during that. The, the, the four sword is like yeah. not there at the beginning. And then like you go through the process of like strengthening it. And I had forgotten that you do that. It's fucking good shit. Yeah, it's good shit, man. Um, Minish Cap is solid, even as being like, I think I'd put it like in the bottom half of my Zelda tier list. But like, it's good. I mean, there's not a lot of bad. There's not really a lot of bad Zelda games. Mm -hmm. Question. Did you ever play Majora's Mask? Yes, I never beat it, but I played it. Okay. Enjoyable. Is it better than Ocarina of Time or worse? Because I know it's weirder. It's by far weirder. Oh, okay. Uh, for the people who did stomach the um, me eating during the preamble, <laughs> Carter's left the chair. He held up a finger. Oh, now he's coming back. 
So I am well, in my childhood there. bedroom, so I can pull this out. Oh, you got the original Nintendo Power Guide. Yeah. Oh, dude, I miss I miss those guides. Fuck, man. I miss I miss uh uh just you get a thick guide with beautiful graphics. It's got all sorts of like did you knows and oh yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. All, all that art that looks so good. Those are special. I had uh I had the. Pokemon Diamond slash Pearl. <laughs> the moves. <laughs> State of the art graphics. That's pretty fucking good, yeah. Another reason why you should play uh, uh, the 3D versions. Like, dude, okay, actually, if you ever want to come back to playing Ocarina of Time, uh, play the 3D version on an emulator because it's just, like, it's just good. Like, it's, it's, it's really pretty and it makes it's how you remember the game looking is what I'll say, it, you know, because if you actually go back to the original, the textures are so blown out and crappy, but like, yeah. Oh, last thing. Do you I don't know if you do a lot of emulator stuff, do you? A little bit. Not a lot. Some Pokemon you, here and there. Do you use RetroArch? I've used RetroArch, yes. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I think that um so because my idea was when we start playing Oracle of Ages and Seasons, uh if we use RetroArch, then we can actually like basically stream the game to another to like like online and you can and the other person can join in. Um I kind of wanted to just watch you play, uh <laughs> just to see just to see what uh so I could see like what you thought of it. The oh, did you find another one? Take a look at this. I don't remember this. The Great Fairy's Sword? Yeah. Okay. Apparently the best sword in the game. Is it like the equivalent of the Biggeron Sword? I don't think the Master's Sword is in Majora's Mask. Well, I guess it's in Hyrule, right? And this is in... uh, What's it called? Starts with a T, right? Shit rule. Come on. It's got the bay where you fight in melee. Termina. Termina, Termina, Termina. Um, Termina, So, yeah, so, dude, um, I don't know if you wanted to do that later today, but I was actually thinking that could be pretty fun to try and set up this evening. Um, I don't know what you're up to. You might be busy. Like, post-game? Yeah. The next few days are going to not be great for me because my my brother, Clay's going to be here until Tuesday morning. And then it'll be off. And then, you know, after that, I can do more stuff. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, like, we don't have to play it together. I just thought it'd be fun to do, like, the first few moments uh, where, like, you know, the first half hour or so of the game, just kind of watch. Because um, I don't know if you ever played Link's Awakening, but that's sort of the foundation. Like, it has the same kind of graphical style and uh, same sort of, like, min- like bar Which at the bottom of, like, A and Link's B. Awakening? Uh, that's the second one, I think. That's, that's Link's Adventure. Link's Awakening. Link's no, I think I am thinking of Zelda 2. I don't mean Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening is the one that they recently remastered. Okay, yeah, because Zelda 2 is the adventure, like Link's Adventure or the adventure. Yeah. That's the one that has, um, like, the weird plat, like... Yeah, dude, there's platforming in, uh, in, in Oracle of Ages and Seasons. But you don't, you don't look shitty. <laughs> you know, so then, it, no, it is Link's Awakening. It is, I'm thinking of Link's Awakening, not Zelda 2. 
even though it does have side platforming, you still have the art style of the top down. It's just the top down now is like a 2D. It's very strange, but it actually works super well. Okay. There are some bosses that you fight in 2D. Wow. Like, I think you might fight Twin Rova in 2D. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Like, you still have access to all your items and stuff. They just behave differently. And it's actually pretty cool. One, yeah, one thing that's actually interesting, I didn't realize you'd fight Twin Rova. Because Twin Rova, that's from OT, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the game came out. So uh, uh, Oracle of Ages and Seasons is a bizarre mashup between Link's Awakening, Zelda 2, uh, and some of Ocarina of Time's style and turning that into some like different mechanics. But it's it's very much its own thing. It's uh, it's so it's Are such a weird. Hmm? Are you play Link? Yeah, you play Link. It's it's what's weird about it is that it is very much your your typical Zelda adventure where you need to, you know, you beat a dungeon, then you beat another dungeon, etc. You know, at some point something happens, maybe like end of act one or whatever. Um, things shift and change. Th- these games came out a couple years after, I think, Ocarina of Time. Um, I, th- I want to say this 2001 uh, when they came out. And I think Ocarina of Time was 98 or 99. But um, but like it's not weird in the way that like Majora's Mask is weird um, where or, or or Link's Awakening, which apparently was very much inspired by Twin Peaks. I didn't know that. Uh, like the, the, the developers of... <laughs> <laughs> the director of Link's Awakening um, was a huge, oh, sorry, David was Lynch. a huge fan of, yeah, was a huge David Lynch fan. And so, like, for instance, I don't know if you've uh, uh, watched uh, or, or played Link's Awakening. Um, I only have memories of playing it when I was very young, um, like a little kid, like eight years old or seven or something, and playing it on somebody else's Game Boy, not even a Game Boy Pocket, just a Game Boy uh, from forever ago and uh just in in somebody's yard there's a fucking chain shop and what? they refer to it as their dog and it's just it's never i don't know if it's ever addressed <laughs> they just have a chain shop it's like what yeah oh, um, i definitely played Link's awakening i remember this yeah yeah i remember that um, shield icon i remember that mm-hmm. 100% i played that game Anyway, so yeah, uh, but Oracle of Ages and Seasons, um, they're just really interesting. They're like tints of your typical approach. And also in a post Ocarina of Time world, like drew very much inspiration from those. But, you know, I obviously understood the limits of a 2D, you know, adventure. But yeah, in Ages, you go to the past, present and future. In Seasons, you are able to like change spring, summer, fall, winter, which changes everything in kind of the local area and changes like what you know when winter like snow piles up and then you can walk on the snow or uh you know when there's summer vines you know sprout and grow you know that kind of thing leaves cover holes in the ground during the fall and like you don't get them all at once either you like you slowly acquire like the past or the future or like you know summer or whatever yeah, it's a really interesting game. Uh, but yeah, so here was my question to you. Do you know which one you want to start with from kind of how I described them to you? As as Seasons being the one like uh, with the, the Triforce of Power and Din, um, whereas uh, um, Nehru and the Triforce of Wisdom being like the puzzly one is Ages. I think I'd like to start with Seasons. Okay. 
It's honestly, it's, I think when I initially thought about it, I thought that seasons, I'm, I prefer ages. Um, and I think that the reason is, is because I prefer the puzzling um, in a Zelda game. But honestly, in the 2D ones, combat can be really fun. Like if you remember A Link to the Past and the difficulty of that shit in that there's like enemies don't really do that what you want them to do. You know, they don't like stay in the squares or like if you hit those weird things with the bulbous backs, they like knock you backwards really far and stuff. There's much more of that. It's a it is a difficult game for the action elements. Yeah, it's a good one to start with. Um, that also means I get to play through ages first, which I am to- totally fine with because <clears throat> I prefer that one. Um, but yeah. Oh, sorry. All of this, we got to get started here, but all of this was, uh, was because I, you never played a link between worlds, right? No, I never played. Okay. I'm assuming you don't have access to like a 3DS or whatever. No. It is maybe. It's up there, dude. It's like in my top three best Zelda games of all time. It's the first, like, I unlocked Hero Mode, and I was talking to my sister, who is the one who's who's been ranting at me for years to play this game. Um, is the first time that I've considered actually just straight up replaying through a game, uh, because there's a couple of things that it does completely differently, and that it was doing long before Breath of the Wild came along. And I think it actually was part of what inspired Breath of the Wild's mechanics, which is <clears throat> you can complete the dungeons in almost any order. Basically, there's two checkpoints. The start of the game, after things like sort of the prologue, things open up and you have two dungeons you can do in either order. Then you return to the castle. Um, and it's very much like a reimagining and like sort of inspired by Link to the Past. Um, it uses the same overworld yeah. of Hyrule. Um, but then after stuff happens... It, like in at the end of act one you have seven new dungeons and you complete them in whatever order you want and nothing is locked off from anything um and you have and the reason why is because you have access to all of the items you rent them you can eventually buy them but it basically encourages to you to uh to you know you're kind of forced to to play with more limited access to to stuff um at the beginning of the game but yeah it's the first it's really interesting um it has a fantastic like i think the dungeons are really enjoyable and the openness of it is just really cool in a way that honestly i i started playing breath of the wild last night and kind of or picked up where i left off really um which was like the last thing i needed to do is go to kakariko village and talk to impa so that she could tell me stuff about my camera. And now I'm like kind of looking around the world for like the, the photos. And I, I enjoy it. It's kind of a weird mix of, I'd say like Shadow of the Colossus and uh, Skyrim, you know, in, in that like it's, it's very much has the attitude and the feeling of just like emptiness in a way that's beautiful. Despite the fact that the world is just stuffed with things to do, it's it, like on the surface, it doesn't feel like there's a lot. But at the same time. I don't know, there there is something that is it's about a link between worlds that feels like almost toy box like where like you want to play with everything. And uh, I think the graphics actually lend to that, like the, the the graphical style very much feels like little like 
plastic models that you'd like pick up and move around with. And the 3D actually lends to that as well. You very much feel like you're looking into a toy box. Um, but yeah, it's like the first Zelda that I've actually like, I think, 100%ed. I got every piece of heart, every upgrade, every collectible. And I like tore through the last like few hours of that game all yesterday because I just like was enjoying it that much. Not because I wanted to get to the end, just because I was enjoying it. I didn't feel that way about Ocarina of Time. It took me a little while to get to to the end there, and it feels like a slower game. But yeah, I don't know. I strongly recommend A Link Between Worlds. Play it on an emulator or whatever, but like it is it is good stuff. All right. Add it to your backlog. So anyways, yeah, I mean, it's just cool to play like a uh, a, a non. Non-linear Zelda game. I think they did it a really good job of it. Plus, all the items are really fun to play with. Yeah, I'm excited to see where they go with Breath of the Wild 2, you know, in 10 years when they release it. <laughs> I mean, I think they're supposed to release it sometime next year. But uh, we we'll see. Anything. I doubt that. People keep on being like, whoa, it's like the first direct sequel. It's like, what are you talking yeah, about? Majora's Mask, uh, uh, Oracle of Seasons and Ages. Hell, Zelda 2, I'm pretty sure, you, is, a, is a direct sequel. Uh, Link's Awakening is a direct sequel. Spirit Tracks and Phantom Hourglass are direct sequels. There are a lot of direct sequels. It's, it's not a new thing. Yeah. And isn't, isn't Spirit Tracks a direct sequel to Wind Waker? Uh, Phantom, it goes, it goes uh, okay, Phantom Wind Waker. Phantom Hourglass deals with literally the exact same link, and then mm-hmm. Spirit Tracks takes place a hundred years later after they settle in new lands and create a new Hyrule. Um, with trains. Yeah, with trains, which are, they're like, they're apparently like this magical thing with like, people give Spirit Tracks so much shit that I don't think it deserves. First of all, the idea of like trains or technology, fuck right the hell off. You like Breath of the Wild, but not Spirit Tracks? What's the difference? It's all technology. I mean, trains are dumb. Trains are great. Hey, Joe Biden likes trains. You leave trains no, alone. You know, Peter Buttigieg likes trains. Pete Buttigieg. Oh, he likes. Well, trains. no, they both do. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't realize they both had that thing. Yeah, because that's what Pete said when people are like, oh, "You're not really qualified to be, you know, head of the Department of Transportation." And he's like, "What do you mean? I like trains." Like, okay. I mean, I get it. I think that I, I, I totally understand why it turns some people off, but I think that they should give it a chance because it also is trying weird things that are like for instance going back to the same dungeon over and over again which sounds like it should be awful but actually in my opinion these are just my own reads because i think you've also played spirit tracks you probably have a different opinion oh you haven't no um i don't like the wind you go back to saga oh yeah don't worry phantom hourglass is much better and uh and 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 don't uh, get me Spirit wrong. Spirit is, I think, better than Phantom Hourglass. Wind Waker had some very interesting things they did. No, I didn't like the story particularly. I thought that they were doing some very interesting things, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. And I hated the art style. Oh, you did? Yes. Wow. That puts you in a different camp than a lot of people I know. I was a, I, my favorite art style was probably Twilight Princess. Because it's gritty. I really like Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. It does have a it does have a bit of a Vaseline lens problem <laughs> where everything's kind of foggy and looks like it's sort of. But I, I do think that Twilight Princess gets too much undeserved shit. I think that that game is actually I think it's a better Ocarina of Time, honestly, in a lot of ways. I think that it was trying to do a lot of the same things or approach the the 
the adventure the same way that like Ocarina of Time did. And I think it does a better job, honestly. I really like the, uh, and this was, at, at the time I was playing it, I thought it was kind of a chore. Looking back on it, I really liked the doing the light challenges where you fulfill the light fruit. Oh, sure. And they're not that complicated either. It doesn't take too long. You just kind of, you know, you find like 40 of them and then you're done. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, they're like weirdly stealth mission-y. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And that's the kind of yeah. thing I wasn't a big fan of that, but I like the idea. I think the idea is really cool. And I thought that like you have to do this thing to unlock your own form again. I thought that was really. Yeah, I think if it wasn't constrained by some of uh, the traditions of the Zelda franchise, it, it, it was one of the it, there's there's a couple of things where I think that if they had stepped out with it, it would have been more interesting. I saw um, so the same guy who's doing a retrospective, I think, made a really good point where he's like, what if Zelda actually died? In that game, yeah. like didn't get better after sort of she 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 actually sacrificed herself for Impa. Also, mean, why didn't Impa mean, have the Triforce of Wisdom? I mean, Midna. Sorry, not Impa. Midna. Yeah, not Impa. <laughs> but why didn't Midna have the Triforce of Wisdom? She's also a princess. She could have been like the one who actually had the third of the Triforce. And that would have been a much more. I mean, she's the one who's trying to save her kingdom. You meet Zelda all of like two or three times in that game at most, you know, except at the end. Well, that's it. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's right. just like after you encounter the third time, you know, it's not like you meet again after that. But um, like you fight together. That's a little bit different from meeting. Sure. Yeah. That was yeah, one of the coolest together. things is when you're fucking on horseback and she's shooting the bow. Oh, it's awesome. Stuff. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm just saying you could still have those epic moments. I would trust that team to create those epic moments without Zelda. Um, or like... You know, if Midna was doing something in that moment or something, because like, I think, again, like she really feels like she is so much more of a character in that game than Zelda yes, ever is. is. True. But you know what they say, Frank? There's always a man. There's always a what is it? There's always a man. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a city. The hell goes. I don't know what you're referring to. Bioshock. I've never played it. Any of them. It's on my... Any of them. Any it's of on my backlog. I know about um, spoilers for Bioshock. Well, I'll just say the thing, but like, I'll, and I'll just cut this out. Um, I know, and it sucks because I literally watched like two hours of gameplay, and the person had just gotten to that point in that, and then it like revealed everything else. And I was like, well, I really would have, I never would have seen that coming, and I really would have liked to yeah. be surprised by that. So fuck. It was um, good. It was kind good. of has been ruined. But yeah, I'll play those games eventually, especially because they came out with like remastered HD versions that I own in the last few years. But yeah, that's one thing they say in Bioshock Infinite. There's always a man. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a city. Something like okay. that. Oh, um, so last thing about Spirit Tracks, then we really <laughs> do got to start because it's been like half an hour. Like, actually, though, um... That game, your companion is Zelda. Like, but like, uh, she goes too. on the she goes on the adventure with you. And she has an arc. She's the most she's by far. She's more interesting than Skyward Sword. Zelda. She is the train. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Um, she yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of a she's by far the most interesting Zelda. And I think she might also be one of the best companion characters. 
Yeah, she's great. Um, yeah, and then the whole like coming back to the same dungeon over and over again sounds like it's stale, but it's not because every time you come back, it's with new mechanics and new items and everything becomes a remix because you gain access to new paths that you didn't have before. Um, I think... And so, yes, you go deeper, but like the the halls, even though they look familiar, it's like an eerie familiarity because they don't actually play familiar. I think my favorite Zelda is Sheik. Yeah. Because Sheik was actually like I a don't badass. Know. Yeah, but so is this Zelda, is what I'm saying. She puts on a fucking suit of armor and becomes like, uh, she like protects and fights for Link sometimes. I don't know. I like the harp. The harp is good. The harp is good. Hey, there's a harp in Oracle of Ages. You play the harp. That's your instrument. Oh, what's, what's the, is it an ocarina in Seasons? Uh, no, it's a rod. Basically, like, you lift up the rod, and then you swipe it, and then, like, it changes. It's a rod. Changes, yeah. The rod Well, yeah, like a scepter. You know, it's like a scepter. An immovable rod. A scepter of seasons. Yeah, an immovable rod of seasons. Yeah. All right, well, that's good good stuff. This is better than a fucking baton in Wind Waker. Look, I guess we do have a video game podcast because we spent the last 40 minutes talking about Zelda. All right, so I have an idea. I, it needed to be done, though. I wanted to talk about it badly because, dude, Link Between Worlds, really, like, if there's any takeaway, play that fucking game. It's so good. I have an idea, Frank, for an episode. 